This is Politics on Fire, the podcast about how our political division is destroying our democracy. I'm Dr. George Flynn. I'm a physician, broadcast station owner, and businessman, but I'm not a politician. We'll learn how politics is on fire and what you can do about it to keep it from destroying our democracy. Welcome to the show. I'm Dr. George Flynn, and welcome to the podcast and radio show, Politics on Fire. Our guest today is Amy Weirich. We really appreciate Amy being here. She's got a unique perspective on crime and what is going on in our entire area. In Shelby County and Memphis, we see more and more crime, and we really appreciate her time coming in to talk to us about the causes of crime and the possible solutions. Everyone else is pointing fingers. Amy is ready to get down to the nuts and bolts of how to fix this problem that's occurring in Memphis, Tennessee and Shelby County. Welcome, Amy. Amy, you have seen crime. You have seen the changes in crime and you bring a unique perspective to what happened when you started in the DA's office and what's going on. And it's been going on for years and the problem has just gotten more acute. What are you, what's your view about what, what changes have you seen? Well, much has changed and much has stayed the same in the criminal justice system in Shelby County, certainly since I started in 1991. Um, violent crime is of course what is top of mind uh, for everyone. You know, when we look at data, when we look at figures and numbers, the crime rate is down considerably from where it was in 2006, but it doesn't feel that way. And when you say that to people, they look at you like you're crazy. Uh, there are more guns on the streets now than there ever have been before. Much of that is the result of legislation that has been passed. Um, and I certainly think we're seeing a, a larger number of the juvenile crime piece is disturbing. They, they seem to be younger, starting in the violent crime arena at a much younger age. And they don't really realize the consequences of it at this young age because they don't have the life experience, I believe. That, I think that's some of it, although, you know, there's, they certainly understand enough to uh, plan a crime, execute a crime, and then certainly try to find ways to escape apprehension uh, and to escape the consequences. So it's, it's difficult to say that they don't see the, the, the full picture. Does the media uh, with the, I'm talking about online games, uh, whatever it is, where you, Grand Theft Auto and, and that kind of thing, does that seem, and it's being applied and younger and younger people are playing it, do they, are they able to differentiate entertainment from real life? That's a great yeah. question. Yeah. And to me, that's one of those questions that, uh, you know, the scientists in the health profession and psychologists should really be studying. Is there a correlation connection between uh, the, the increase in and the influence of uh, not only the video games, but just the, the, the music and other things that, that kids are listening to that they're exposed to um, is that having some type of detrimental effect on in the movies, things like that? Well, I was bringing up the movie, getting ready to bring that up, because every movie I go to has more what called CGI and more visual effects and more violence and more shooting, 
shooting all kinds of guns and automatic weapons, things that you're really not supposed to even own. And, but anybody can, what, what is the age now to buy a gun, to purchase a gun and, and carry one? 21. 21. Yes. And we see plenty yes. of people that are way under 21 owning guns. And, oh, oh my goodness, and, yes. And, you know, most of those, of course, are stolen. I mean, nobody, you know, 14-year-old kids that are in possession of deadly weapons are not walking into area gun stores and buying those legitimately. They are getting them. Uh, that's why we've got so many cars being broken into and things like that. They're looking for guns. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah. So that I've they had it happen. You know, my family's had it happen. They go through the car and find no guns. And so, I yep. guess they move on. Uh, but you were talking about what, what is the, how do you balance the Second Amendment rights and, and guns and gun ownership? Where, where do you see that balance being struck? Well, it, it's certainly, you know, what, what is the, um, the driver of the, the gun crime is the intention of someone to commit that criminal act. It's not the gun itself. It is the person who is holding the gun uh, for the wrong reasons. I certainly don't deny anyone the right, and our legislature has given citizens in the state of Tennessee the right to have a gun to protect themselves and to protect their families. Uh, and they certainly, that is a right that is important uh, to this state and to this country. But where the, yep. where the DA's office and where law enforcement gets involved is when those guns are used to terrorize, when those guns are used to victimize citizens. Well, you bring up a very good point uh, because I believe in Europe and Canada and England, we see crimes con committed with knives. Right. And, and right. multiple crimes. And it's just amazing that, uh, you, you know, what do you do? Take up all the dinner knives and all the butcher right. knives and that kind of thing. So it is a problem. What, what, do you, what do we need better about when somebody does a crime, is convicted, what about incarceration? What can we do better with incarceration? Well, I think, you know, something that I fought for for 10 years, and thankfully it is now the law of the state of Tennessee, and that is truth in sentencing. That if you are sentenced, if, if the legislature has deemed that a certain crime is worthy of a certain number of years in prison, and we reach the point with an individual that, that you are sent to prison, um, you know, there are many, many people that are handled in the criminal justice system here in Tennessee and throughout the country that are given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity on probation and through alternatives mm -hmm. to incarceration to get their lives on track. But if we reach the point with you that you continue to refuse those opportunities, you continue to victimize people and you're sent to prison and you are sent to, for 10 years, that should mean something. Um, thankfully, that is now the law of the land. The other thing that needs to happen in the prison system is um, meaningful rehabilitation. But at the end of the day, the person in prison has to want those things. We can have the greatest programs in the world in the Tennessee Department of Corrections and the greatest employees in the prison system, counselors and support groups. But if the prisoner himself or herself doesn't want to change, there's nothing we can do about that except lock you up and keep you from harming any more people. Well, it's just like, I guess, Alcoholics Anonymous. If the, you can go to the 12-step system and all of that, but if you don't want to change, you're right. absolutely right. If they don't want to change, we can throw money at them, for, give them money for going to these programs. And 
they don't want to change, they'll take the money and no change occurs. Right. Someone's participation in the criminal justice system is a voluntary decision on their part. If you are forced into committing a crime or if you are under duress or if you are not mentally capable of forming the intent, there are laws that prevent prosecution. There are automatic defenses to prosecution built into the law, but everybody else has made the decision to either pick up a gun and hurt somebody, to go into a store and steal somebody, to get behind the wheel of a car and drive drunk, to beat their wife, whatever it is, you are voluntarily putting yourself in the criminal justice system by the decisions you make. And you can also voluntarily remove yourself from that criminal justice system by rehabilitating yourself and taking advantage of programs and alternatives that we are very blessed to have in this community. Now, we've seen such, you mentioned it uh, a few minutes ago about the explosion of youth crimes. Now, the youth, uh, do they know if they, if they do a crime under, say, age 18? And I don't even know what, is that at the discretion of the district attorney? If they do a crime or if they or participate in a crime, they get out or they, at age 18 or age 21? Are they... How do you prosecute a, a just a juvenile versus an adult? And sure. whose prerogative is that? Right. So there is a whole separate set of laws and, and uh, procedures for handling juveniles. Certainly, uh, the, the realm of juvenile crime ranges from kids getting in fights at school, kids stealing candy bars at a grocery store, on up to the horrible, horrible, violent murders, rapes, and robberies. Uh, it is the decision of the district attorney's office whether or not to ask a court to transfer a juvenile to adult court to be handled as an adult. That mechanism, that alternative, um, at least you know when I was the district attorney, was used for the most serious violent crimes and for those offenders, those juveniles who had been in it out of the juvenile system over and over and over and over again, that we have used everything we have in our wheelhouse available to us to rehabilitate, uh, and these juveniles continue to victimize citizens in our community. Uh, but the purpose of, juven of the juvenile laws are rehabilitation. Certainly, we don't take lightly uh, the, the adult prosecution of a 15-year-old or a 16-year-old. But when they leave us no choice and given our responsibility to public safety, uh, and again, they know what they're doing. These are, these are crimes that have been planned, executed, and then in many situations, steps are taken to avoid apprehension, hiding of the murder weapon, hiding oneself in the community, trying not to get caught, uh, trying to get away with their crimes. Thankfully, law enforcement does a great job morning, noon, and night um, bringing those offenders to justice, but it really is a question of the responsibility of the criminal justice system to the public, the entire public that we serve. Well, not talking about uh, the current district attorney, but when we, you were in, in office, how much uh, weight, say a juvenile does a crime and uh, a murder. Uh, does the family's wishes, do they have anything to do with prosecution or not, or how strongly or how weakly we prosecute? And uh, does the public sentiment 
have anything. Did it did it weigh on the district attorney since it's an elected position? Uh, did how much public sentiment and how much family uh, pressure or lack of pressure goes into how how severely you prosecute? Sure, certainly the victim's family. If we're talking about a homicide case, the victim's family is an integral part of the process. And the district attorney's office here in Shelby County and district attorney's offices across the state do an amazing job every day, making sure that the victim's bill of rights in the state of Tennessee, that those words have meaning. And so there is not a decision made in a homicide case in which a victim's family is not consulted. That doesn't mean that we always do what the family wants us to do. And a great example of that is um, seeking the death penalty. Oftentimes the, uh, the decision to seek the death penalty may be something that not all the members of the family are supportive of, but given the facts and circumstances, given the offender's uh, record, that the district attorney's office is left with no choice. The opposite may be true. It may be that the family wants the prosecution to seek the death penalty, but in the opinion of the prosecutor and given the facts and the evidence, you know, I think that's something that's always important to remember about what prosecutors do. It's not a popularity contest being a prosecutor. What we deal in is truth. We deal in what the evidence is and we deal in what the facts are. And then of course, woven through that, uh, are the rights of the victims to be heard. Uh, there are, you know, when I, when I was district attorney, I met with victims' families on a regular basis, certainly every family on a murder case, uh, just to make sure they understood the system and understood what was um, going to happen over the course of the prosecution. So while we have those conversations and we give weight to it, it is not the deciding factor, certainly the, the victim's family's wishes, nor the public. I mean, you know, we've, I've had individuals ask me to seek the death penalty on an aggravated burglary case. Well, you can't, you can't do that under the law. Um, and then the reverse of that, you know, sometimes we have victims that don't want us to prosecute, uh, don't want us to seek certain punishments and certain sentences, but we're not the lawyers for the victims. We work for the public, and we have to always remember that, and we do keep that in mind with every decision that we make. Well, what you've said is you're not only a prosecutor, uh, district attorney, you're an educator. You're educating the public. You have to educate the families, and like you say, you, you're meeting with them. That's quite a time-consuming thing to try to explain the law to someone that has not been to law school or has not had the training and experience that you have. And that's, um, I guess that's a big part of your job. It is, and it's a very important part of our job. Uh, you know, it's, it's something that, of course, we take great pride in as prosecutors and all of the offices across the state. You know, there aren't enough of us, um, and there certainly aren't enough victim witness coordinators, but the victim witness coordinators throughout the state of Tennessee do a great job every day, again, giving life to the Victim's Bill of Rights. Tennessee has a Victim's Bill of Rights written into its constitution, uh, and it is the responsibility of the DA's offices across the state to make sure victims know what is happening with their case. Again, they may not always agree with the decisions that we have to make and with the outcome of a certain case, but as long as they know what's happening, 
Um, and then I think it's also very important that we connect them with services. You know, as I tell people all the time, you don't stop being a victim when that case is over in the court system. For far too many families in our community, you are a victim of crime for the rest of your life. Yes. Uh, and connecting those families with services. Um, my, my victim witness team in the DA's office would always hear me say to, to families, ask them if they were receiving counseling and if the children that were impacted by this crime. It may, you know, the children may not always be a witness mm -hmm. to the crime, but they're still impacted by it. And we have to make sure we're doing everything as a community to strengthen and support and to wrap our arms around those children who are touched by and affected by this violence. This post-traumatic stress syndrome uh, disorder is a, I mean, it's like you said, even though someone may not have witnessed it, some family member, they have certainly lived with the concept of it and it's a stressful situation. Yeah. As a matter of fact, if you witness it, uh, it may be, if you don't witness it, it may be severely exaggerated in your mind as to sure. what happened versus witnessing and the stress with this, whether you witnessed it or not, for the family and for the extended family and for the entire community. I mean, we're still under post-traumatic stress disorder, the entire community over the recent events. It's, uh, it's a mess. And yep. that, that thing, you know, this is what you're doing is vital to public safety, just vital to it. I've got an opinion about it, but I want to know your opinion. Why has this become a partisan situation rather than vote for the person, the correct person to do it, rather than whether they're labeled as, as one party or another, or it's just, to me, it's, I, I don't understand it because the person most qualified, whoever it is, whoever wins the election, great, but why has it got to be a label on, on you? And, what do you feel about it? I don't know. I, you know, and I think that's certainly a, 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 a question to be asked, not certainly just on a local level, but we're seeing it across the country that instead of people looking to who the best candidate is for a job, things have gotten far too divisive, far too partisan. Um, I don't know what the root of that is, but hopefully it's something that uh, we can we can turn around quickly and um, again, just remember, particularly for certain positions, um, there's nothing partisan about what is done in, in that job and in that responsibility. You know, I, um, I've been honored and, and blessed to have served as a public servant since 1991 when I started in the district attorney's office in Shelby County and so thankful and blessed to be continuing that journey now as special counsel in the 25th Judicial District. And while the rural districts may have um, less of a volume of cases than the big cities, they certainly have the same issues. Um, they certainly have families who are impacted by violent crime. You know, we have a lot of uh, fentanyl is a horrible scourge on the streets of our state. It doesn't matter where you live. It's hard not to find someone whose family has not been touched by the trauma and the danger and the deadliness of fentanyl. And so these issues are rampant across the state. It doesn't matter if you live in a big city or a small town that takes up one side of a street. Um, we've got to get a handle on 
crime. And we've got to, as a state, focus every day on making Tennessee safer from, from Memphis to Mountain City and everywhere in between. Well, and what I know, but would you inform our audience of what counties you cover now? Sure. In, the, in your ju judicial district. Yes, Fayette County, Lauderdale County, Tipton County, McNary County, and Hardeman County. And I've had um, I've been to all the counties. In fact, when I get done this morning with you, I'm going to head to Covington and, and uh, handle some things there, but just have met some incredible people and just really um, excited about this opportunity to serve the citizens of the 25th Judicial District. Well, I have run in those counties and let me yes. say the, the drive is to get there. I hope people appreciate you being there because the, your uh, you know, travel time is, is tough and I guess you, you do CME or is this CLE on there and you can... <laughs> But you can listen to radio and TV and podcasts and that kind of well, thing. Well, it's a beautiful drive. Can't watch drive. TV. Can't watch a, TV. That's, no, can't watch TV while you drive. But it's a beautiful drive and just happy to, to con continue serving in this way. Well, we really appreciate it. And by the way, where did you grow up? I was actually born in Minnesota, where both of my parents were born and raised. But I, we moved here when I was starting seventh grade. And it was the week that Elvis died. So I have lived in Shelby County for many, many years. Uh, we moved to Germantown. I was the first graduating class of Dogwood Elementary School and then went on to Germantown High School. Very good. Well, you're certainly a product of the Memphis City School System. I hope the transition at the seventh grade wasn't too tough on you because <laughs> no. that is a rough, that's a rough year for anyone. But yeah. uh, we really appreciate you being here and we consider you a Mid-Southerner, Memphian, and uh, all around the county now in the your judicial district and every county, they're going to come to know and really appreciate what you do. Thank you very much for being with us. Of course, Dr. Flynn. Good to see you again. Take care. And by the way, Amy, it's George. If all I right. can call you Amy, you call me George. You Thank you. Deal. Okay. All right. Bye. Take care. Thank you for Bye. being a part of Politics on Fire podcast. I'm Dr. George Flynn. And I ask you to subscribe for early notification of each new podcast. Of course, your comments are always welcome. Thank you.